0: Prepared to hear the truth from a real whistleblower, and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin.
1: Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Good morning this Wednesday. It is February 29th. Why is that? Because we extended Black History Month. We're just going to keep going for another 20 days by popular demand. I'm kidding. Uh, today, we're going to have an episode that isn't called, What is the Government Distracting You With? And we're going to talk about a number of things, including Greek mythology and the Apple of Discord. I think you're going to want to stick around for this. Um, topics for today, student loan forgiveness, the HEROES Act. We're going to try to punch a square peg into a round hole in the Supreme Court. Uh, We're going to talk about the lab leak theory. Not only did Fauci deny it and DOE talk about it, but also the FBI director got into it. How about 41,000 hours of footage? Is that a real problem? Are we giving all of our goods inside the Capitol to Russia? Um, The weaponization committee, we're going to talk about a catch up on there. Uh, And all these things are going to lead us to the apple of discord, what we're being distracted from. And I think that it is the discussion about the national divorce. My friend Dan Bongino did a great podcast about it yesterday. If you didn't see it, I recommend it. Um, But let's get into it. And and I'm going to encourage you to stick around to the end here because we're going to do blow by blow. The FBI director Chris Ray's quote unquote exclusive interview with Brett Baer on special report. I'm going to give you reactions in real time as we watch it. And I will pause it and tell you what's really going on there. You're going to want to see that at the end here. But let's just launch into a little story from Greek mythology. Now, all of our history is tied to the Greeks and to the Romans. That is the way that America's founding fathers looked back and saw something. They looked into their history and their educations, and they formed our republic based on these values. So let's talk about this little value here. Now, the story of the apple of discord involves a goddess named Eris, who was the goddess of quarrels. That is to say, discontent and discord. She was the only goddess not invited to the wedding. There was a wedding between a king whose name was Pileus and a sea fairy whose name was uh, Thetius, I believe. And, you know, all the goddesses are all there. They're all in their finery. And the purpose of this wedding was a celebration. But by leaving out the goddess of quarrel, which is a natural thing to do, you don't want quarrels at a wedding we invited in an opportunity for this goddess to do her work. So she throws in an apple that's solid gold, and engraved on it is an inscription that says, To the Fairest. And immediately, immediately, that causes problems, because there are three women there, three female goddesses, who all lay claim to the title of the fairest. One of them is Athena, the goddess of wisdom and justice. The other one is Hera, Marriage and the family, that is her her sort of purview, and the hearth. And then uh, lastly is Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty and love. I'm not going to get into how they get settled. It goes down to a human, a mortal. It gets discussed by uh, Paris, who was actually the uh, you know, sort of the hero or the villain of Troy, however you want to look into it. But when we talk about it, I think all of these topics, marriage and family, uh, wisdom and justice, and beauty and truth, all of these things all sort of play into what is being distracted by this apple of Discord. So let's start off right away with a horrible video. Speaking of um, beauty and truth, let's put Randy Weingartner up, if you would, Producer Phil, and we're gonna listen to a little clip here about how we're trying to cram this square peg of student debt relief under the HEROES Act, which was passed in 2003. And we're gonna have this lady shriek at us like a banshee. Uh, if you'll play the video, or actually I guess I should play the video, huh?
2: No, I can do it. Here All right, go. Fantastic. fantastic. All right, so if and you play the video, really we're gonna have a little listen
1: to what she has to say.
2: During the pandemic, we understood
0: that small businesses were hurting, and we helped them, and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. Big businesses were hurting, and we helped them, and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. All of a sudden, when it's about our students, they challenge it, the corporations challenge it, the student loan lenders challenge it. That is not right. That is not fair. And that is what we are fighting as well when we say,
1: cancel student debt. And frankly... There's,
2: there it is. There's, there it is.
1: So... so. Randy Weingartner, uh, who sounds like a banshee and might be having a stroke shortly after that due to all her Pfizer boosters that she's been advocating on behalf of, um, the question becomes, who is a better advocate for school choice than that woman and for for the vouchers program? Uh, American parents are looking at that woman, who is not a parent, uh, from what I can tell, and um, not even like a rational or reasonable actor, like a, like a sh- shrieking and, and screaming, um, you know, partisan actor. And she's out there trying to make this argument that we need to uh, give up. Like, who is she even advocating on behalf of? The, the people who did student loans. I don't know if you guys had student loans, but I had student loans and I paid them off. In fact, I paid off my wife's student loans as well. I went to the FBI Academy at Quantico. It was a pretty decent gig. Like I got paid to just hang out at this academy and sleep nine hours a day. So I didn't do anything else. I didn't spend any other money. And I paid off my wife's master's degree, um, which she doesn't use right now, other than it probably made her better as a parent. Maybe. I don't know. It was like a leftist uh, thing. She's a counselor. So we paid off this like private school debt that we picked up because that's what you do when you make an obligation in this country. But we're trying to destroy things like personal responsibility by shoving in something that was designed to help soldiers, airmen, marines, um, you know, members of the coast guards. What do they call coast guard members, Phil? Uh sailors? Oh, that's just like seamen. A, seamen the navy. Um <laughs> they go out there. I feel like we missed one. But uh no disrespect to any members of our service. This was the purpose of the Heroes Act. It was basically to defer student loan payments and or forgive them. And uh, as I recall, there was like a $10,000 debt forgiveness that would happen as you entered the service. By the way, I had student loan debt when I entered the military, but it was private debt and I paid every penny of it because that's what you do when you sign up for something that you are obligated to do. So... It's an interesting sort of issue. I think that's a a pretty good way to erode wisdom. It is a good way to erode family when you try and take away these responsibilities. And uh, I want to move into this next topic here. They're not perfect segues. What you're going to find is that all of these things are the same. They're all the same apple. They're just different angles of it. And you can't tell until we get all the way around and find out. So the lab leak theory is something that many of us uh, who pay attention to both science, uh, the news... And people who have a basic understanding of probabilities were able to do a pretty quick assessment on. And it's been a so-called right-wing conspiracy theory since like what, maybe March or April of 2020 years, uh, three years now coming up, that this has been a pretty clear assessment. Now, moreover, it's been an assessment by the intelligence community, but we couldn't really talk about it. There are members of the CIA that I'm friends with who have reached out to me that did molecular analysis on the viral capsule. And they told me that like, unquestionably, this was a man-made um, virus, that there was something, you know, and it was pretty clear what that had gone on. They actually, these were people that worked out of China uh, in the IC that couldn't talk about this publicly and wouldn't talk about it. And then suddenly now we have, not only is the Department of Energy putting it out in a um, some sort of document assessing with some low degree of confidence, but they're pretty confident that it's something they can talk about Um, You've got people like Fauci, who has been denying it from the beginning, kind of saying, oh, it's not real. You've got this sort of um, discrediting going on within the federal government. And then as we're going to hear in a little bit, the FBI director goes out and speaks about it very clearly. And that apparently was the big bombshell takeaway that Brett Baer had in his special report. He had a uh, an all star panel which we're going to skip past because I just don't think there was anything all-star about any of it. But they had a bunch of people who know nothing about the FBI talking about how that was the real big bombshell revelation that he spoke about the lab leak publicly, which should be, you know, for those of you who are keeping track of your conspiracy theory bingo card, it's basically you're going to have the blackout win. I don't know if you didn't play bingo when you were a kid, you get the free square in the middle. You try to make a bingo that spells out all the letters. But if you got every single pan, you know, the entire thing covered, then that was the blackout. So that was like the ultimate win. We're at blackout status. All the conspiracy theories are true. Everything one of them. They're all true at this point. So, um, you know, the lab leak theory. Did we, um, did we show, Mar- uh, what is it, Nate Silver's tweet up there? Putting it up now. Okay. Do you mind reading the tweet on there? I don't have it directly in front of me. But the thing is, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Well, so Nate
2: tweeted out on February 26th, well, The behavior of a certain cadre of scientists who used every trick in the book to suppress discussion of this issue is something I'll never forget. A huge disservice to science and public health. They should be profoundly embarrassed. And so this uh, Mehdi Hassan uh, retweets him and says the simple reason why so many people weren't keen to discuss the lab leak theory. And he puts theory like between two asterisks, is because it was originally conflated by the right with Chinese bioweapon conspiracies and continues to be conflated by the right with anti-Fauci conspiracies. Blame the conspiracy theorists. So then Nate responds, this is so refreshingly honest. The bad people thought the lab leak
1: might be true.
2: Therefore, as journalists, we couldn't be expected to actually evaluate the evidence for it.
1: We can't be expected to evaluate the evidence because the wrong people are saying it. The wrong people are saying the thing that is true it's obviously true and so because of that we're going to have a big problem we we are going to just ignore and move on we are not going to cover this thing that is uh you know scientifically the most probable and including something that has been you know released from any number of um you know, reputable sort of intel sources, you've got people like uh, Andrew Huff coming out that was talking about it. That was a big deal. We had a Chinese scientist come over who I can't remember her name anymore. I think it's uh, Li Yu. But um, I know I've been in a Twitter space with her. I'm kind of embarrassed to say I cannot recall her name. And, uh, you know, they're out there discussing this stuff openly. But this is a right wing thing. This is the bad people. This is uh, what does Dan always call them, the Smellies. That's us, I guess. Um, I I shop at Walmart too, and by being a Walmart shopper, you're part of the uh, the sort of the uh, persona non gratis of the intellectual, the intelligentsia that are out there, and and they're too good for us. But we were right. All of us were right about this because it's obvious. Because what was more likely, the Chinese are evil and trying to kill us? Yeah, that's a thing. Those of us who have worked on it and understand their long plan, it's pretty clear. You know they are going to be doing these things so we're distracting from chinese spy balloons this total failure of the regime this this uh this biden administration which is incompetent and and has been guilty of all the things that they have accused everybody else of in real time they are actually getting you know found out uh, and we'll get into that in a second when we talk about uh, ray's piece there but um but by all means you know let's let's talk about the lab leak now years after we all have sort of like assumed that we've moved on from it because it's so obvious um, I'm going to get into January 6th, okay? We're going to just pivot right over there. There's 41,000 hours of footage. We've had uh, FBI hacks show up on uh, MSNBC, Frankie Figgs, who we've talked about before, talking about how there's a possible security risk there, but no further information. He doesn't want to get into uh, what those security risks are. The speculation was is that we would be letting our enemies or a future insurrection know where the security cameras are. Um, I'm not sure how many of you have security cameras at your house, but if someone were to know that there were security cameras and they covered every square inch of your house, would they be better off knowing that those existed? The assumption is that when you roll into a place like the United States Capitol, that you are under constant surveillance footage, that you are constantly being surveilled, either by physical assets or by electronic assets, there's something that is keeping track of your movement. And as we found out, even in the aftermath, They can drop a Google fence warrant after the fact, and we have actually seen the FBI do this. They have gone and tracked people in basically, you know, abbreviated real time or going back in time and walking them through the Capitol through that day and found out where they went. They've excluded certain people based on their behaviors and their habits. This, you know, this geofence warranting, uh, everybody carries a surveillance device around with them. It's called your phone. It's almost always in your pocket. So you are surveilling yourself and you're giving it to the big tech companies like Apple, like Google, like, you know, anybody else that you give permissions for location data inside and some of them that you even don't. And then any of you that are doing TikTok, <laughs> including um, uh, what's our buddy's name, executive assistant director Jennifer Moore, who was doing them throughout the pandemic. If you're doing TikTok, you're giving the Chinese access to it as well as you know, any other kind of things that can uh, that can tag along with this. So The problem that people are acting like is like, oh, there's all this footage, this is a security risk. No, what this is, is an indication that we've had a bunch of convictions and moreover, we've had a ton of plea deals come up. A lot of them. People have pled guilty without having access to all of the potentially exculpatory footage that was on this 41,000 hours worth of tape. Like how have people gone to jail in this country, which is supposed to be just and supposed to be independent and supposed to be fair, when they don't have access to to true discovery in accordance with uh, Rule 16 of the rules of criminal procedure, they are supposed to be. There is a requirement that the state makes these things available. Phil's going to read us the actual uh, the Rule 16 and what it says that should be available, and it should be very upsetting to you that they don't have access to this footage to cr- scroll through um, in in a free space. Phil, if you would kind of give you a read in.
2: Yep. And anybody can pull this up. Just go to law.cornell.edu. It's all there. But under 16, it states the defendant's written or recorded statements upon a defendant's request. The government must disclose the defendant and make available for inspection, copying or photographing all the following any relevant written or recorded statement by the defendant. And it goes on here. The portion of any written record containing the substance of any relevant oral statement, the defendant's recorded testimony before a grand jury. And it goes on and on. There's all sorts of things that a defendant is entitled to when they are going to be heading to trial.
1: And you would expect this. It would be made available to them. Let's say you robbed a bank. There's going to be surveillance footage of you in the bank or somebody robbed a bank, and they would be able to show. And you could put it in front of a gate analysis person and say, this is not the right gate. This person is not the right height. Like All the things that you would do to mount a credible defense, because the standard is beyond a reasonable doubt. So you only need to create the shadow of a doubt. That's the job. As a defendant. And we want that. We need an adversarial system that basically assumes, which we have not done with these January 6th defendants, that you are innocent. You are innocent until proven guilty. That's our system. We don't like doing that. It's really hard as human beings to hear information and then act as though it's not true. But that's how you become a decent scientist. That's how you become a decent investigator. Your job is to establish a case and then try to disprove it. And so all the information that you're building to prove it should also at the same time being attempts to disprove it. And should you disprove it as an investigator, you are required by our our laws to disclose that because it's exculpatory. And generally speaking, if you actually do disprove it, then prosecutors don't move forward with it. Now, if you are dealing with an unfair prosecution, if you are dealing with something that doesn't make any sense in this case, if you are dealing with the... um, you know the united states attorney's office in the district of washington dc maybe they don't want to look at all that stuff they just want to see what works for them they're cherry picking and this stuff should be available to the people that have been sitting in these gulags the political prisoners which i have a lot of sympathy for what went on you know there's a lot of foolishness and stupidity that it takes to go and break into the building or engage in violence with these police officers and yet they are still entitled to a credible defense, and they should have access to all this information. So we're talking about national security concerns, but the thing we should be talking about, what's most important, is whether or not these people got to mount a credible defense. And we seem—I uh, know conservatives are very frustrated by it. They're disgusted. But what you're finding is people on the other side, people that uh, you know are, are ranting and raving about the, uh, the insurrection and the fact that our government was almost toppled by a guy wearing a Viking helmet sitting in the— uh, sitting in uh, Nancy Pelosi's chair, uh, these sorts of things are not where they're putting their minds and their energies. They they don't care because it's fine as long as the people that are not on their team, um, as long as the people that are not on their team don't get the fair shake, it's all acceptable. So that brings us to a government that is weaponized. And so that was theoretically what we addressed with these midterm elections. By a very narrow margin, we put a Republican lean to the House of Representatives so they could do some of these uh, investigations. And uh, I know Phil's going to be bringing up a tweet here to show, but it's very telling when the Weaponization Committee, this is Jim Jordan and uh, all of his colleagues who have interviewed three of my friends now, they are doing what? What are they doing there? We see that they have no phone number assigned to uh, to the Capitol. They don't have an office space booked, so they have no room where they're working out of there are no future hearings scheduled. Is this the thing that we all expected them to be doing? It's what I expected them to be doing based on the information I had walking up to this. They've shown themselves to be unserious. And this is something that should be very troubling because nothing makes the federal government feel more comfortable than a lack of oversight. That's where they go. They have no one looking into them. And the things that we're supposed to be paying attention to like that are being distracted by student loan debt and Randy Weaver st- or Randy Weaver, Randy Weaver was, uh, was killed by the, uh, the FBI and the ATF, but, uh, or his family was rather. Uh, so we got Randy Weingartner out there in the steps of the Supreme court doing her thing. And, um, yeah, it's actually worth noting right now. I didn't think of it on, I didn't have it in my, my plan, but Randy Weaver story reminds me of the other important story. Um, on Tuesday, the last day in February, there's something worth remembering. That's the day that the ATF decided to justify its existence by uh, staging a raid into the compound at Waco of the Branch Davidians in 1992. And when they did that, they started off a cascade of events that resulted in the death of, uh, I think, what, 24 children? A whole bunch of people burned. And, I'm, and my understanding is, and I believe this, my, my dad was actually involved in this sort of uh, incident, that they all killed themselves. I have no doubt about that. David Koresh supposedly shot himself in the head with a rifle. That's the the story that I heard. Um, I was 11 years old when that happened. And I remember it pretty, pretty accurately because I lived in Dallas, which is outside, it's north of Waco. It's not far away. And David Koresh actually called into the radio station that my dad ran at the time when I was an 11 year old kid. And uh, I remember him leaving and not coming back for days. And he talked to David Koresh for upwards of 20 hours he spent a ton of time on the phone with this guy. And the thing he said was over and over, uh, the government's trying to kill me, which turns out was probably accurate uh, based on the techniques that they chose. And the overreach that happened there was not because David Koresh was doing some dangerous weapon situation. They weren't bothering anybody. They weren't a threat to anybody. They used to go to gun shows and make a bunch of money. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of uh, minimal sympathy there. I have a lot of sympathy for the children. But what I do have sympathy for is honest gun owners who have the ATF decide we need something splashy and we need to get people revved up because everybody was looking at the ATF like, why in the heck do they even exist? Sounds familiar, right? Like, why do they even exist? Why are they trying to criminalize everybody with uh, pistol braces? Why are they trying to... Act like there's some sort of issue with the ownership of an AR-15 when they were walking guns down into Mexico. So we're, it's all about distraction. It always has been. The distraction is is give us a good reason to exist. Let us show you how great we are, and then the government continues to go on. Um, it would be I would be remiss if I skipped out on talking about sort of the atrocities that went on in the '90s, and we didn't do anything better. We just kicked the can down the line. The only thing that that brought us back from the brink there was that we had. Another Apple, it just wasn't us necessarily throwing it, which is uh, in 9-11, this country united and uh, managed to come back together and all, all realized, everybody realized what was at stake if we weren't America because other people do see us as one. But less and less, I think they're seeing that, which is why we're seeing these sort of invasions by the Chinese. All right. Um, the thing that I think that we're being distracted from is that America is falling apart. I sent an article to to uh, Bongino's producer, Guy, today while they were doing their show, and he was talking about what a national divorce looks like and why it's not a good idea and all the bad things that would happen, all the, um, the issues that come up. But there was a really, really interesting piece that was written several years ago. It was uh, released in November of 2020. And I remember reading it at the time, and I always forgot who wrote it. For some reason, I always thought it was in National Review, but it wasn't. It was in The American Mind, which is uh, published by the Claremont Institute. And Phil, are you pulling up 2020, a retrospective from 2025? Yep, I got it. So there's a guy named uh, Tom Trenchard. I highly encourage you to go read this. I will actually put this in the show notes because I think it's worth reading, even though it's several years old. I tweeted it out, so if you're following me, you've already probably looked at this thing, and you skip past it. But what it shows is a map of the United States, and how basically like 97% of the land area in this country are rural counties. That's the physical property of the United States. And that's always been sort of the gem of America. That's why we've been unconquerable in so many ways. It's why we have the stability for food and infrastructure and really the, the m- miraculous ability to go between those two coasts. And all of that empty space in between, and if you've never driven across America, there's probably people listening to this that have stayed, you know, very close to where they live, and they've gone on a plane, you don't get a sense of it if you haven't driven. Um, In 2021, my my daughters and I, I took a a two-year-old and a three-year-old, I put them in a minivan, and we drove over 2,000 miles from Virginia all the way out to just north of Phoenix, Arizona. And we went through all the places you'd expect. And there is a ton of space in this country, and most of it would be considered red They are Republican uh, voters, or they are conservative-leaning people who want to be left alone, who have guns, who have a sense of freedom, who have an old-school idea of what the Constitution should mean, that it's a leash on the federal government, keeping it out of our business. And then you've got these bright blue dots. And every time you drive into them, if you're someone like me, you think, this is a threat. This is a threat to my kids. This is a threat to my personal safety. This is a threat to my my property. There's too many people and they're awfully close and they have a different set of rules they're willing to live by. And people who live in those tight quarters, they want more government. It's really natural. People who have a lot of space, they wanna be left alone. They wanna take care of themselves. People who live next to somebody else, there's two options. Either you have blood feuds that happen in every apartment building and on the streets of all these little, you know, uh, row homes that are in New York, or if you're living in a city where you're, you know, uh, got a postage stamp that you live on and then you can spit into your neighbor's yard. When you live in smaller and tighter quarters, it's it's helpful to have more government. It's a natural lean that way. So I don't want to say that this is some sort of evil they've developed, but there is a, uh, an ongoing polarization that happens, which we've all seen, everybody's aware of it at this point, that when you live in one of those areas now, not only do you think that uh, the government should decide your problems, it seems like it should also solve all your problems, and it should also be the one who tells you what your values are, because you need to know what they think. You need to get their permission to do things. This is the opposite of people who live in 97% of the physical area in this country, and unfortunately, we're broken down about 50-50. So, just like places in New York, where the entire state of New York is held hostage by a few urban areas, I just got into a spat with somebody the other day from Buffalo, and they let me know that um, you know guns are not appreciated there because somebody used a gun and killed people at a supermarket. It's awful. That has nothing to do with the gun owners. It has to do with some guy who was a jerk, who um, you know went in and decided to kill people because he had problems. This is not uh, something you can sh- shove on people who live in Nebraska, who live in Arizona. That are defending their cattle and shooting, um, you know, shooting coyotes. This is a totally different animal. So this country used to have an, an understanding that the strength and the brilliance of it is that we were incredibly diverse in places we lived, in the ways that we made money, in the the um, the architecture. Uh, in our language, in our in our dialects and things like that, like all those things are the diversity that I kind of grew up knowing about. People from Texas sound a little funny. People from New York talk really fast. Things like this, right? Uh, people from the Midwest they they listen to you a lot and they kind of stare at you and they make you you know elicit responses from them. And I and I went to all these places when I was a kid. Um, it, and you know, people in in different places had a different sense of things, and then everybody in Florida was just uh, when I was growing up was sort of like a. They were a liability. That's where the Florida man thing came up. That came up during my lifetime, which now Matt Gates puts as his as his Twitter bio. But we used to know that there was this incredible amount of difference between us. And this article, or this opinion piece, which is, I think, just a thought, it's a thought experiment, it basically says that just like if you were looking back in eighteen, you know, uh, sixty six. You would have known it was inevitable that there was going to be an eruption in 1861 to start our american civil the american civil war the first one and that this guy's idea is that there is a cleave between these two polarized halves and the natural divide is urban and rural and now i know i'm going to tell you why i know this guy is correct because i typed this information in today looking for this article and i found a new york times article saying that that is not the case I'm actually going to coin a law, which is the law of contrary mainstream media uh, opinions. The You can basically set your watch that if the mainstream media tells you something is false, then that is something you should probably dig into, and the truth exists right there. And when the New York Times tells you that the divide is not rural and urban, I'm confident that it is. Uh, I've also lived it. I don't know if people in New York who write for the New York Times actually go anywhere in America. They do the flyover thing, and they... Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's a picture. Phil, did you ever see the picture that was called like the the New Yorker's view of America, something to that effect? It's a guy standing in like Manhattan. Yeah. And he yeah, sees like Midtown. It. It's he's looking out across you know what what is America, and it's a guy, and he basically sees there is Midtown, and then there's Downtown, and then there's Brooklyn, and then there's Chicago and San Francisco and Los Angeles, and there's nothing in Dallas. Like there's just some urban areas like spread across, but there's nothing else. Like the, the, America is made up of a couple of cities that you can see in, in this fantasy view, um, but nothing else matters. None of the real places where people go. And if you've never been to a real little town, go, go drive out from where you live. Go drive 45 minutes to an hour in any direction, and you'll experience what most people in America would feel is kind of what we lost. You're going to say something. <laughs>
2: No, I just pulled up this old New Yorker, and it had like Ninth Avenue, Tenth Avenue, the Hudson River, Jersey, the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> That's it.
1: It's, there's nothing else. They like they, they cannot fathom that most of America physically is where probably many of you live and where I've driven through. And I, it's it's my favorite thing about America. Like you don't have to leave this country to see almost anything you could see in the world. You can see deserts. You can see incredible mountains. You can see rainforests. You can see swamps. Um, you can see old mountains and new mountains you can see plains. it it all exists out there Um, you can see places that are not very nice you can see things that will blow your mind with their beauty it's it's all across the whole story like i get tear i get choked up when i hear um america the beautiful because it really is and we have such incredible resources and um visual resources just going out there and, and and adding pictures to your mind so many people are not spending that time doing it. And and many maybe many of you are listening to this while you're driving around in an RV and seeing this country. I think some people figured that out during the, uh, the COVID shutdowns that maybe that was a good time to walk away from your job and go do something different. Uh, but people who live in these urban areas, many of them start off young. They go to a big city. They never leave. It's my mother-in-law. She left Texas when she was a kid. She always wanted to be a New Yorker. And she got so far away now that she's in her 70s, she actually lives in Connecticut so that's as far as she got uh you know it's like a two hour 90 minute or a two hour drive outside of new york city and doesn't mean she doesn't see other things but those that's her frame of reference so this article this this uh opinion piece this thought experiment of the the what do they call it the united american counties and the, and the united american cities it's a it's an interesting thing to discuss because if we don't figure out how to come together you know national divorce is not the thing that i worry about which dan gave this long story the the worry that I have is that it will be violent, and that's more likely than anybody because we've already done it once, and that's what I feel like the Applewood Discord is keeping us of, you know, just distracted long enough from that. There's a there's a brewing undercurrent, and there are some seriously nefarious people that are pushing this on our country, which is to say that they are interested in violence, and um, it's pretty intolerable. So those of you who stuck with us for the last uh, half hour, I'm gonna share with you this. Uh, this FBI director, Chris Ray, I'm gonna um, switch over. We're gonna play the Brett Bear interview, and I'm gonna stop it and give commentary in the middle of this. I watched this earlier. It actually, this is sort of cathartic for me. I actually felt physically ill after watching it. It made me feel sick. It's like watching, it's like watching an ex. I have to imagine. I don't have an ex, you know, uh, wife, but I, I imagine like an ex-wife getting up in front of um, a judge in a custody hearing and lying about you and about the things that you know are true about your old household in order to keep your kids. I think that's what it would feel like if you just knew and the the judge just doesn't ask any questions and there's no no ability for anyone else to talk about it. So we're gonna switch over here. If you're uh, not watching on the Rumble, we have just tried out our new technique of (laughs) splitting a a split screen here. And uh, I'm gonna hit play and we'll just kind of stop this thing along. Let's see what my old boss has to say to Fox News.
0: Mr. Director, thanks for the time. We're here in the Strategic Information Operations Center at the FBI headquarters. Uh, We appreciate you talking to us.
3: Absolutely. Happy to talk with you, Brett.
0: You know, polls show that the FBI's reputation is at a real record low. What do you make of that?
3: Well, look, there are all sorts of opinions out there about the FBI, just like there are about every major institution these days. I can tell you that we're focused on the opinions of the people we actually do the work for and the people we do the work with.
1: Okay, so who are the people that he works for and people that he works with? He works for the American people, all of us. So those are the opinions that he should be concerned about, which is to say when more than half this country thinks the FBI is an enemy, That should be a problem for a guy who's in charge of it. Um, The people that he works with are local law enforcement. Local law enforcement, by and large, is losing faith in the FBI because the FBI has painted itself with a very nasty brush of being a partisan actor, and that partisanship is left-leaning. It's a a danger because law enforcement is overwhelmingly right-leaning because they care about tradition, they care about the institutions that they signed up for, they care about the Constitution, they care about making sure that people are able to live safely and, and have these rights. And we're looking at an institution that not just is not just choosing cases to go after one side, they are actively, and as we have demonstrated, they are actively thwarting um, the the constitutional barriers that are supposed to keep them from infringing on individual liberty. And we'll get into that in just a second here. We'll keep going.
3: And I look at things like, for example, our recruiting the thousands and thousands of Americans all across this country who are signing up in droves to come work for the FBI. Uh, And I should tell you- I can't roll my eyes hard enough. A lot of people don't know this. That number has gone up dramatically over the last few years since I've been in this That's really interesting. And that's at a time when recruiting for law enforcement, uh, as you may know, in general, in law enforcement has struggled quite a bit. So you're talking about young men and women In their late 20s, early 30s, a lot of them with military and law enforcement backgrounds, about 50% of them with advanced degrees, no less.
1: 50% of them with advanced degrees. If you're not watching our video, what you're not seeing is that Chris Ray's head has moved uh, about six inches left and right, almost every single other word that he says. He, He looks more nervous than I've ever seen him. He's a bobblehead, like in real time. And he seems so uncomfortable that his first discussion about why people don't trust the FBI is a lot of people are coming out to be recruited by the FBI. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because we've covered it on the show. The FBI has dropped standards. That's number one. There's a there's a massive lull in recruiting. Recruiting was at 10-year um, or longer lows when I was going through It was the bottom of the barrel for people. And that might say something bad about me. In fact, I don't think I would have gotten hired by the FBI in certain instances. Um, I was told that I wasn't going to be hired by them. They just don't understand how veterans preference works because none of the people that do FBI's HR are actually trained in HR, which is probably why I'm sitting here in this situation and suing the FBI in the future. So um, when you have people that don't know anything about human resources, then they don't answer human resources questions properly. But moreover, this guy is bragging about basically that they were at an all-time low and now we have a national defund the police movement that's been going on for three years. We've got um, all of these types of folks from massive departments getting kicked out of their agencies, being let go for various reasons, or they're not showing up to those agencies because they know the funding is not there. And leftist cities, which we just talked about, are going after these people as targets. So they're giving the FBI a shot. And here's the thing. The FBI pays really well compared to law enforcement in general. Like with the exception of maybe being in California... Um, and maybe some of these other these bigger cities, I know guys in New York City, were making really good money after the uh, a long period of time, most cops in most small areas will have no chance at making the kind of money you make in the bureau. So let's talk about what that looks like 65k right in the academy. That's more than most guys are going to make in their first year in law enforcement, if they have a lot of experience, plus some bonuses, like they speak a language or they have an advanced degree, so on. And then you add on top of that, like that doubles in five years. There's not a lot of places I know the Texas Department of Public Safety pays really well that's one of the few places that I saw that does this kind of thing but you know guys are making half that uh, and doing a lot more dangerous work so this guy is gonna go ahead and tell you that the reason that we know that the FBI is not um, is not uh, actually thought of poorly is because there's recruiting numbers you know law enforcement makes up every sworn officer in this entire country makes up 1 million people is what I'm told it's like 990 something thousand people so you're gonna tell me, that the fact that one in 350 people are going to, you know, get into a job situation and that's going to give you the the impetus to say that the american people trust us because a, a very very small fraction of people we're talking about a couple, you know, tens of thousands of people in a com- country of more than 300 million uh, want to come and work for them? Give me a break, dude. Like this is a joke answer. But we don't push it any further. Brett Bear says it's really nice to hear. Okay, fine. Let's keep going
3: who are, have a lot of choices in this job market and their choice to come to us I think speaks pretty darn loudly and profoundly about our reputation all across America.
0: Your critics say that some of these low ratings are thanks in part to the Russia collusion investigation, Uh, conservatives call the FBI's disinformation campaign about Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, or what they see as a dual system of justice. We can go down into each one of those, but broadly, how do you address that?
3: You know, I hear these claims of politicization, but I can tell you that the FBI is and it's going to stay independent. And that means following the facts wherever they lead, no matter who likes it. And
1: False. That is a false statement. That is a lie. That is not what's going on. And then the only reason that you know this is because your lying eyes have told you that for the last couple of years. This has been going on since 2015 into 2016. the The FBI has not only not followed the facts. They have made up the facts. The inspector general has gone forward. Phil, what was the uh, the finding uh, in the Russiagate situation with the, the IG?
2: Yeah, it was 17 errors that all resulted in being able to pull up a FISA
1: warrant against the Trump campaign. And then the sitting president as they right. continued it. And the best part of that is we don't have to just feel like there's an opinion involved. The FBI terminated somebody based on that. And we had an assistant director or we had a deputy director who became the acting director who was removed for lying about other things, including like disclosures on there. This is not an agency that it says on the on the on the Chiron here, if you're not watching our video, uh, agency objective, Ray, FBI is and will stay independent, right? And then we're gonna talk about how um, the DOJ comes in and shoves the parents at school board piece on there, which Brett Baer actually did ask, good for him. They're not bad questions, there's just no follow-up to it. Because when you ask somebody a question and they lie to you, you don't accept that if you're serious. But this is not serious, and uh, the second half of this interview is even sillier, which we're not even gonna cover because it's just gonna run us out of time. All right, here we go.
3: I add that last part because what I have found in today's world is that far too many people use as their standard For whether they think something was fair or objective, whether it's an FBI investigation, whether it's a Supreme Court decision or even an election, is whether they like the result, whether their side won or lost. But that's that's not how independence and objectivity. work. That's a leftist position, by the way on either side. The FBI is on the American people's side, on the Constitution side. Well,
0: let's start with the laptop. The FBI has had access to this laptop for more than three years. Why is this investigation on the Hunter Biden laptops taking so long?
3: Well, the investigation is being led, as you may know, by a U.S. attorney appointed in the last administration out of Delaware, and the FBI is actively supporting and working.
1: All right. So Chris Ray, who he does a thing on this that I'm gonna call running out the clock. He just talks, he just says words that don't mean anything. He says um, lots of descriptors that are irrelevant to the answer. Now, that's not how you do television. As some of you may know, I've been on a number of television shows and you usually don't get 15 or 20 minutes to go and ramble on about some BS. But in this case, what Ray does is he runs out the clock by doing a bunch of what I'm gonna call Chris's lists The Chris lists are when he just says a bunch of uh, names or words or government agencies or this or that. And then eventually we run out of time. That's what he's doing. So he's going to talk about how, let me just give you the background on the fact that there's this guy and he's from the farmer administration. Nobody cares, bro. Like nobody cares. Why has the FBI had this thing since 2019? We're now four years into it. It's Evidence that has been leaked in the public. It has been covered by the national media. It has been exposed by Miranda Devine. There is a book written. Miranda Devine had time to write an entire book on this. A well-researched book called The Laptop from Hell that says a number of the things on there. Like, just the minimum, we could have already had Hunter Biden locked up if they were serious. But they're not serious, and we know that because he told us they were serious, and he's not a believable or credible person. If you're in the security division and you're watching our podcast, and I hope you are, um, you should all resign in shame, because you work and you support a regime that has this guy in it. And this guy is a liar. Here he is going to continue lying, saying words running out the clock.
0: With that
3: U.S. attorney on that investigation.
0: But the whistleblowers are telling these lawmakers that there was an internal effort to shut down the investigation from the beginning. Have you found that?
1: I have not found anything like that. Chris Ray is bubble wrapped. Sorry, I have to add this too. Chris Ray has actually said that he is bubble wrapped. Those are his words. I didn't make that up. He said, I'm bubble wrapped and they keep these things from me. There's a reason why he is, he mentions later on that he has oversight over the FBI. I actually believe that's an accurate statement. He doesn't have any leadership of the FBI. He's not running the bureau. He's not in charge. The man has no ability to run the bureau because he doesn't know the things that are going on and that's by design. He can plausibly get up in front of Congress and he's either lying or he doesn't know because he doesn't know anything. Either way, he should be fired. You don't get to not know things about the organization that you're in charge of. You're still responsible. You're just incompetent. But if you do know them, then you're complicit. And that's called malfeasance. So either way, the man needs to be tossed out. There's really a, a bifurcated option. It's either he knows what's going on and he's uh, he's responsible for it. Or he doesn't know what's going on and he's still responsible and he's just incompetent. Either way, toss the man out. This is such an obnoxious thing. I don't know is not a good excuse. And the fact that Brett lets this go is also gross to me. They should have let somebody come in and interrogate this man. Like he gets more and more comfortable as you watch the interview. And it's not because, it's not because he's getting used to the format. It's because the questions get softer and softer and then eventually become a puff where they go talk about how they caught people on the most wanted list, like who cares? uh... All
0: right, so let's talk about the FBI. And what you told Big Tech or some agents did about the authenticity and providence of Hunter Biden's laptop?
3: He
1: just moved on from that,
0: by what the way. What about that from an FBI perspective?
3: The FBI does not is not in the business of functioning as the truth police. Understood. So we don't tell social media companies to censor anything well or The Twitter file suggests
0: something different. I mean, there was an FBI request numerous times. Um, Taibbi. Puts it out. FBI San Francisco requests to ban certain accounts. Uh, Twitter personnel. Okay, direct case, evidence of him doing of the FBI doing something. four accounts that the FBI wanted to ban or, or suspend um, was is it appropriate to flag social media accounts for on Twitter or elsewhere due to politics or uh, government policies when it comes to COVID? Uh, is it appropriate in any way? You're saying it doesn't happen, but there's evidence that it had.
3: We don't. Tell social media companies to ban accounts. But you suggest. well What we do is tell social media companies about information that we have about foreign disinformation.
1: All right, so here he is. He's going to deny the claim, which is in front of you. Once again, don't believe your lying eyes. We're going to give you something else to do. We're going to give you some other explanation. None of these explanations are legit. The fact of the matter is, is there are people who have been uh, whistleblowers that have come forward and explained in explicit terms that... Elvis Chan, he's the point person that handled Twitter and all the other big tech companies out in San Francisco. Elvis Chan came forward and said these in meetings. I was specifically told of meetings with Reddit where he said, we can't tell you what to do, but, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, you guys can enforce your policy. And then we go out there and try to enforce their policy. That's a no go. That is, that is an explicit violation of the First Amendment. I'm gonna kind of skip ahead here because there's a lot of things that are gonna drive me nuts. I'm gonna get you some of these lists. We'll see what he has to say in this and thing life. right here. Let's
0: talk about the dual system that conservatives point to. The documents investigation for former President Trump and the raid that happens in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, that show of force in that way, uh, as opposed to the documents investigation for President Biden and how that went down. You find out about those documents before the November election, Uh, The FBI then does the search of the House after that, but does not say anything prior to the midterm election. So those two things are sticking people's minds as different, handled differently. How do you explain that?
3: So we have a long history of handling investigations into the mishandling of classified information. And our standard... approaching those investigations is the same no matter who it is our basic approach is the same now that approach means that we typically start with the least intrusive means to try to retrieve the improperly stored classified information but if those less intrusive means don't work and certainly if they're frustrated in some way then we adapt and turn to other legal tools
1: I don't know if you've ever done any kind of uh, analysis of people's behavior, but he is constantly shaking his head like he doesn't believe what he's saying. I used to watch Lie to Me, so I don't know if that's real or not. But all I'm seeing is a guy who's shaking his head like a bobblehead and saying something that is false. It is false because the FBI has never gone after a National Archives request in the history of all the presidents that they've been around for, which is 100 years of presidents. And then they gave all the courtesy to Biden's people, and then they kept it quiet. So there could be a midterm election that didn't show that the president who's sitting in the White House right now, who claimed, how could you be so irresponsible to have documents like this? I can't even believe it, like sources and methods, blah, 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 old man yelling at the clouds about how Trump was irresponsible has like documents in 10 different places. And it's not because he left the the White House. He'd never even been to the White House when he had those things. He wasn't the guy living there. He lived in the Naval Observatory because he was the vice president and he was a senator and these things go that far back. So this is disgusting stuff to see. Like, and where's the follow-up question with this? Because he does. He just lets him go. That we've been entrusted with.
0: Are you at the table for that decision of how it looks to go after... Watch him say oversight. ...like the way that it happened in Mar-a-Lago?
3: Well... I oversee the FBI, I expect uh, any significant investigation to be conducted by the book, Uh, and I do that.
1: Was that a yes or a no, Phil? Did you hear him say yes, I was at the table for that? I did not. That's called lawyer talk when you just walk right past it. He's a politician and he's a hackish one too, because we didn't get the follow on, which was, I didn't hear you say yes. Like I'm listening for the yes. Why do we not have somebody who's a journalist that knows how to do these kind of things?
3: With adherence to our rules, our policies, our practices.
0: Why didn't we know anything about the FBI looking into President Biden prior to the election?
3: Well, again, I can't talk about specific investigations that are ongoing, both of which are being led by special counsel. Other than to say it is not our normal practice to discuss publicly specific investigations.
0: All right. So let's talk about by the book, Mark Houck, Pennsylvania pro-life activist arrested at his home in front of his family for an alleged violation of the freedom of access of clinics act alleged incident, which he was protesting in front of an abortion clinic. He was recently acquitted of all charges at trial, the show of force for that arrest, that decision to you. Use-
1: Just pausing and look at this again. Uh, you know, we had Mark out on our show and, uh, incredibly nice man. And and very, I would say measured in his response by not just the thing that happened to his kid, but also his response to what the FBI did to him. Um, Just a a nice man all around. You've got slung rifles, you got somebody with a a brand new hat on that's funny. Uh, With their sticker on I think that's really unprofessional. But I just think stickers on hats is stupid. You got a shield back there. Right? Like, there's a shield tucked away in this. If you're looking at our video, if you if you haven't seen this interview, you can come and look. This was provided a photograph from the Thomas More Society. But um, once again, you got, you know, there's four people in view right there. And the, the number of vehicles exceeds that in the, in the background. It's just like, what were they thinking? And this is the same woman. Well, listen to what he says, the excuses.
0: Was that force? Was that by the book?
3: Those decisions are made as they should be by the commanders on the ground in the field office who have yes expertise no. about when to conduct operations safely and securely for the safety of everybody involved and to-
1: all right. So he's going to kick on every single one of these. If you watch the entire interview, and we'll post it up on the maybe on the Rumble channel so people can just watch it. I'll, I'll snip it out and we'll put, post it on later today. What you're going to find is that he gives lists. He runs out the clock and he doesn't answer questions, which is what we expect. That's what we expect from Chris Ray. But we would expect from a journalist is for them to come back around and penetrate into the problem. Um, that commander on the ground, by the way, do you ever meet a commander in the FBI, uh, Phil, when you were working 15 years
2: No, you know, former commanders who would brag about their time in the Navy, but never, you know, like an actual commander.
1: Well, you know what? Actually,
2: there's they refer to the HRT commander. That's that's the the only only one. Only place.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, there's one set of commanders and that's the guy who runs HRT, which is basically a paramilitary operation. Um him talking about that commander on the ground, that was the Philadelphia field office. You may remember, if you go back, you can watch our, uh, our podcast called You Can't Just Shoot a Dog. You'll find out that Jacqueline McGuire is that commander on the ground who approved the Mark Hout raid. And she shot a dog on the street um, because it was attacking her dog, maybe. Even if it was, was, who cares? This is the kind of people that are making those uh, those decisions. When you talk about someone who's got the ability to use the right amount of force, maybe you shouldn't be taking it from a woman who thinks that after 27 years or whatever it was in the Bureau, that she's going to draw a gun, 23 years, I think, uh, draw a gun and shoot a pit bull on the streets of Philadelphia because uh, Fluffy is getting uh, attacked or getting yelled at or barked at or sniffed. Um, Just unbelievable stuff. That this is the kind of people that he has. This is a great picture of Ray. This is how Ray looks in my head, by the way. Um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this sucker up. I'm gonna let you guys go. I'm gonna, like I said, look later on today. We'll post a, the full video from from Brett Bear, so you can see this whole interview and, and what a fluff job it is. You can picture my face scowling. You can see uh, Phil rolling his eyes in your head. But um, ladies and gentlemen, this is this is not a serious organization. This is a an apple of discord that is distracting you. This is a group of people that are. They are trying to tell you that everything is fine, like Kevin uh, Bacon (laughs) in Animal House when it is on fire. Is that the right one? Is it Animal House? This is fine? Uh,
2: Yeah, I can't remember. I I just picture the cartoon where the dog is sitting in a fire. And he said, this is fine, everything's fine.
1: Everything is fine. They are going to distract you with all the things they're going to trot out Chris Ray, because there are no answers to the questions that the suspendables have. So full disclosure, we had Cash Patel send Red Bear a copy of all of our questions, you'll notice he didn't ask any of them, and there's no follow ups. Anyway, I do appreciate your attention today. I appreciate you all um, joining and uh, and giving us a five-star review. We've had a bunch of them come in in the last couple of days, so I'm going to have Phil read one of those. But I'm really grateful. I watched all the download stats, and people are just, like, tuning into the podcast and checking it out. You're sharing it with your friends. We do appreciate that. Throw some comments down there if you're watching on Rumble, because I do like responding to those. There's some really interesting takeaways that you all have, critiques and otherwise... Um, you, you know, if it's just your feelings, send those to, if you want to tell me you hate Chris Ray, I get it. I do too. Um, you know, the guy is, it's his fault, but, um, if you have something more constructive or if you have some like actual questions, like I love following on with those things. So uh, I like to make that interactive. Phil's going to give us a good readout and, um, we'll, we'll, we'll end this thing.
2: Yeah. Thanks for all the five-star reviews. You're helping push the Kyle Seraphin show up the charts like this one from miss Laura Lynn, who wrote. Jesse Waters segment Jesse Waters made the FBI look so bad Friday night correction the FBI made the FBI look so bad you and Steve friend both looked good and in parentheses handsome (laughs) that's very kind thank you miss Laura Lynn and then also from the give send go anonymous donor thank you for all you are doing to expose government corruption we are behind you all the way thanks to that donor yeah everybody else who's recently donated
1: yeah we really do appreciate you folks we do have our first sponsor that's going to be joining us uh starting probably either beginning of next week or maybe just after that um but we've we're we're getting ready to ink this deal and it's not a lot of money but it is kind of a neat thing that people are interested i know people do podcasts for a long long time and nobody's interested in sponsoring but it's because of you and your listenership and the fact that you're sharing this and are growing um that's what's making this thing a possibility of monetizing it and as i told somebody Thanks so much for the handsome comment. I am the cleanest looking homeless person that continues to frequent the Fox studios and show up on Fox News because I don't own a home right now. I don't have a, a house and I don't have a place to put my family. So we're literally still stuffed into two uh, extra bedrooms. And uh, we're just going to keep doing this until this thing makes sense or until there's a uh, an outlet where we see the FBI reformed. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Kyle Seraphin Show. This is our Wednesday. Tune in Friday. We're going to have some more for you. We may even cover more of this show, especially if there's more analysis to be done. Um, We'll look into your comments on that. Again, thanks for joining us on The Kyle Serafin Show, and we will catch you at the end of the week.